Shalom, and welcome to Via Hafta Yisrael, a Hebrew phrase which means you shall love Israel. We hope you'll stay with us for the next 30 minutes as our teacher, Dr. Baruch, shares his expository teaching from the Bible. Dr. Baruch is the senior lecturer at the Zera Avraham Institute based in Israel. Although all courses are taught in Hebrew at the Institute, Dr. Baruch is pleased to share this weekly address in English. To find out more about our work in Israel, please visit us on the web at loveisrael.org. That's one word, loveisrael.org. Now, here's Baruch with today's lesson. Why is it so important that God keeps covenant with Israel and fulfills all the promises that he made to the descendants of Yaakov, Jacob? And the first response to that question is very direct, simply because God has said he would. God is faithful to his word. What God promises, he will fulfill. Those covenantal obligations, God is going to make a reality. So when we see God's faithfulness to Israel, it speaks to God's truthfulness. Secondly, God will use in the last days this redemption for a remnant of Israel, God keeping covenant with the descendants of Yaakov. This is going to be a testimony. This is God's witness of his fidelity. And the Bible says this, that there's going to be nations, obviously a remnant of the nations, that they're going to witness, behold, see God keeping his covenant, God fulfilling his promises, God being faithful to his word. And they're going to learn about the holiness of God, the truthfulness of the word of God, and they're going to respond and praise God for this. They are going to respond to him in faith because they see the faithfulness of God. It is so unfortunate. It is spiritually dangerous. It attacks the scripture when someone says, God has replaced Israel, that these covenantal promises are no longer valid. Such a person has not studied correctly the word of God, especially the prophetic revelation we have through the scriptures. Well, with that said, take out your Bible and look with me to the book of Isaiah and chapter 43. God willing, we're going to do the first half of this chapter and this lesson, and it is a wonderful chapter. It is a chapter that reveals over and over God's fidelity. He is faithful. What he speaks is true. We can listen to that and know for sure it will become the reality. It is a scripture of encouragement. Because if God is faithful to those old covenant promises to Israel, he remembers them, he will fulfill them in the last days. Then as new covenant believers, we can be assured his faithfulness to them is a testimony that yes, he will be faithful to those 
who have embraced a covenant through his only begotten son, Messiah Yeshua. Now, it's very important that we understand that this 43rd chapter, like so much of Isaiah's prophecy, so much of it has to do with the last days. Many times I'm criticized because I see so many of the passages in prophecy relating to the last days. And the reason for this is I'm kingdom-minded. I see in the text these words that God reveals having ultimately this, this conclusion for the last days and what God is going to do in order to establish his kingdom. I'm thinking about the good things of the kingdom of God. And when we just take them literally, we see without a doubt they are indeed best understood in the last days. Let's begin. Isaiah chapter 43 and verse 1. It begins with a word of urgency. The word now. And in Hebrew, this word atah has to do with God doing something for the purpose of manifesting his glory, his righteousness, his holiness, his faithfulness to his word. So we read in verse 1, And now thus said the Lord. Again, I have mentioned this many times, but if your Bible says, thus says the Lord, it is incorrect. If you check it out grammatically, this is in the, the past tense. It is speaking about something God will do. But he says it at that time now. So logically, one would say now means thus says. But it's in the past tense because it's emphasizing that God, he's already said this. This is as good as done for him. What God proclaims now, he's always, always had this as his plan. It is as good as fulfilled, so it's emphasizing it's a language issue that speaks to God's faithfulness to bring something in the future about. And now, thus said the Lord, and God is being defined here, being described here as your creator. One who creates Jacob. One who forms Israel. Now, what's interesting is this, that the term for creator and one who forms is in the present tense. It says that God is at work now to form and create Israel, Jacob. Now, why that language? to tell us that God is presently at work. There's a future promise. We need to believe it. It's as good as done because God has said it. And God is at work to bring about a new reality. That's why he is creating and forming Jacob and Israel, because he is going to bring them to a new reality. What type of reality? A kingdom reality. What God always wanted Israel to become. And he says, look at the middle of verse 1. 
Do not fear, for I have redeemed you. Now, this is 2,800 years ago. Messiah, although Messiah is eternal, there's never a time that he did not exist. He is the Lamb of God that was slain before the foundations of the world, but he had not completed that work of redemption. Makes no difference. What God has promised will be. It is assured. And therefore he says, for I have redeemed you, I have called you by your name. Now, learn another important principle. We see that it is through redemption that God knows us. You might say, well, God knows all things. Yes, he does. God knows all things at all times. There was never a time that God did not know something. What will happen a thousand years from now? God knew it in eternity past. He saw it. He experienced it because he's God. But the message here is this. It is through redemption that we will be recognized by God. Does he know all of his creation? Obviously. But is he going to recognize, call by name, every individual into his kingdom for that redemptive purpose? No, he will not. There will only be those who, as we see, have responded to God's invitation, has seen his plan of salvation and taken hold of it by faith. And that faith brings about a redemption for them, an experience of redemption, whereby through this redemption, God knows us in a unique way. So he will call, that word can be invite. He will call you by name. And what will he say? Lee. Ata, which means to me, are you. Now, what's important is when we look at this last part of verse one, it's in the singular. Ata, meaning you, singular. And one of the reasons for this is we're talking about redemption. And redemption is an individual aspect, meaning God, although he's going to redeem Israel, He's going to do so an individual at a time, meaning every person, every individual has to make that decision if they're going to experience that redemption by faith through the grace of God. Verse 2, for you will pass through waters. Now, many of the commentators go back to the Red Sea. But this is once more in the singular. And it's not something that, that has been. It's something that is future. You will pass through waters. And God says, with you am I. God is emphasizing with this phrase, with you, this redemptive relationship. That he has entered into a covenant, a covenant redemption, which God will always be with his people. So he says, you will pass through waters with you, am I? And through rivers, and he says, these rivers, they will not sweep you away. They will not overcome you. For you 
in the midst of fire. You will be in the midst of fire, but you will not be burnt. And the flame will not burn you either. So the flame, you are not going to be burnt by it, is what it literally says. So whether it's it's water or fire, God is going to not allow harm to his covenant people. He is going to redeem them and bring them through this these difficult things, far, fire and water. Verse, verse 3. For I am the Lord, your God, the Holy One of Israel. Now, when God reveals himself frequently, prophetically, he does so by calling himself the Holy One of Israel. And that's why when referring to the land, we should always refer to it in a biblical way. Not simply calling it the Holy Land or, God forbid, Palestine, as more and more so-called believers do, but it ought to be called by its biblical term, which is Israel. And God identifies himself as the Holy One of Israel. So again, verse 3, we read, For I am the Lord, your God, the Holy One of Israel your Savior. Now, he's speaking about the Holy One of Israel and him being your Savior, your Savior, O Israel. I have have given your ransom, Egypt. Now, Egypt was a very vast empire. And God is saying here, I brought judgment upon Egypt in order that you would be redeemed, that you would be ransomed. Secondly, says, and Cush, this is Ethiopia. And Ethiopia was as well a vast empire. And also it included and was part of what's called Seba, another African empire. And what God is saying is, we look at these great nations in the past. And we find that Israel is more important to God. Why? God has given them a call. God has given them a great purpose. And therefore, they take precedent because of God's call. Now, this call is to bless all people. It is not exempting Egypt or Ethiopia or or some will say Sheba, none of these are being ignored, but it is through God's redemption, him ransoming Israel, that this hope can come to all these nations as well. But Israel's the key for it. He says, Cush, Ethiopia, and Sheba, here it's Sabah, in your place, meaning in exchange for you. God is showing preference. He is showing purpose. He is revealing a plan that he has for Israel. Verse 4. Since you are precious. And that's what he's saying here. God has seen Israel as precious, having significance in my eyes. Who's speaking? God. 
And God, the master of the universe, he has said, you are precious in my eyes. You have been honored. Most scholars see this, both Christian and those that come from a a Jewish perspective of Judaism. They have seen this honoring of, of this people because God has given them a call. He says, you have been honored and I have loved you and I will give man, this could be men or people in, in your place and nations in exchange for your soul. So God is saying, when we look at the nations of the world, there is a priority. There is a preference for Israel. Why? This people, God is using his plan. They are the vessel in order to, we say in Hebrew, to bring to this world blessing. So God is saying, Israel has a preference, a priority among the nations. And the question is, are the nations going to recognize this? When we look at the world for a long time, they have had a hatred to Israel. They persecute Israel. They are against Israel. And what does God say? Based upon what we have just learned, he says, look at five, verse five. He said it a second time. Do not fear. Why? He says, with you am I. Now, he does not say, I am with you. If your Bible says that, it flips the order in an inappropriate way. It is not emphasizing what the text does. Because what is emphasized grammatically, what is emphatic is the phrase, with you am I. The emphasis is on the fact that God is with Israel. That is what's being emphasized in the text. And he says here, from the east, I will bring your seed. And from the west, I will gather you. Now, this all goes back to a very important promise that we see over and over and over throughout all the prophets. And that is, we can be assured, and we are experiencing it in our days, that God is going to bring back the Jewish people to the land of Israel, whether they be in the east or be in the west. God is going to manifest his faithfulness that he's at work, that these covenants are still relevant. And when I say covenants, I'm talking about the covenant with Israel and the covenant with David of the Messiah. When when God promises David from your household, from your seed, from the stump of Jesse, I'm going to bring about my king, my redeemer, the Messiah. So the fact that, and here's a great way of looking at it, in the same way that God brought the people out of Egypt back to the land of Judah, why? To get things in place for his first coming. In the same way he is currently today, bringing the people back to the land of Israel with great opposition, with the nations, the United Nations, the European Union, many within the the United States in the Democratic Party, not wanting people, Jewish people, to live in the land, wanting to uproot them and say Judea and Samaria, the biblical Israel, 
in the past. The land of Canaan, that's not for the Jewish people. This is blasphemous. It is against God's purposes. So he says, look again, do not fear, for with you am I. From the east, I will bring your seed. And from the west, I will gather you. Verse 6, I will say to the north, give. And to the south, do not close in. So verse 6 speaks about God's proclamation. We mentioned the east and the west in verse 5. Now in verse 6, the north and the south. And he's saying to those in the north, give up. Give up the people. Allow them to come back to the land. Do not, those in the south, close them in. He says, I will bring. And it's the emphasis that he's already done it. It's something that he will do, but he says, I have brought my sons from afar, my daughters from the ends of the earth. God is not going to forget any. He is going to show himself, and hear this, perfectly faithful. That's the God of Israel. That is God the Father, the Father of our Lord, Messiah Yeshua. His word is accurate. His promises will be fulfilled perfectly. Verse 7, all the ones. Now, this has a broad application. His faithfulness is for, for Israel and to Israel are not just for Israel, but for those that are called, like he says here, all the ones who are called with my name. So if you have received Yeshua, Messiah Jesus, into your life, he has placed his name upon you. And the faithfulness to Israel will be multiplied and bring about a faithfulness to establish all of his kingdom promises. So he says, look at the text, all or everyone, it's in the singular, everyone who is called with my name. And my honor, for my honor, I have created him, I have formed him, even I have made him. For what? His honor. So what this text is revealing to us is this, that God has formed, made, created Israel to be an instrument of his honor. So God is going to use Israel for that purpose. And it's going to be a mighty testimony in the last days. When people see this tiny nation, these, this group, not a large people, not numerous, but nevertheless, God is going to keep perfectly his word. He's bringing them back to the land and he will defend them against all the nations of the world that will one day go up to Jerusalem for battle. God is going to destroy them. Why? Look at the end of verse 7. And for my glory, I have created him, I have formed him, even I have made him. Verse 8. Now, some will point out, but, but the Jewish people, so many, are in spiritual darkness. They're not believers. That's true. But here's the principle. Did God look down upon humanity 
and see faithfulness. And that's why he sent Yeshua into the world to die upon the cross. We deserved it. We were spiritually enlightened. We saw things correct. We were all waiting there in Jerusalem for Messiah to come and be crucified. Is that the spiritual condition of the world? It was not. The blessed word of the Lord is this, that God loved us while we were still sinners. He redeemed us in our our unbelief, meaning he did the work of redemption while we were unbelievers. But God moved in order to bring those that were faithless to make them faithful. And my hope is that describes you, that previously you were faithless. You were lost and dead in sin and trespass. You did not serve God. You were not interested in the things of God. But God in his graciousness, because of his name, because of his faithfulness, he moved and he brought you to faith. He touched your heart. He revealed things to your conscience and you responded. This is what he says he's going to do in the last days for Israel. Look at verse 8. Hotsi brought forth a people who is blind, but eyes they have. Deaf and ears are to them. So they have eyes and ears. But nevertheless, spiritually, they're blind. Spiritually, they're deaf to the word of God. But nevertheless, God is going to work mightily. He says in regard to what he's going to do, notice verse 9. All the nations, they will be gathered together. And they will be gathered. Who? The peoples. This is the countries. And he asks a question, who among them will declare this? Who among the nations are going to say, God has not forsaken his old covenant people, that God is going to do his word. He is going to fulfill his prophecy. So he says, who among them, these nations, these countries, who among them will declare this? And the former things, those former promises, will will they made to be heard? Will they give testimony, meaning will they give their witnesses to this? And then he says, and will they be righteous? And that they will hear and they will say the truth. Now, this is what God is asking, who among the nations? that God is going to gather to witness this. Who among them are going to be righteous, be be faithful, be ones who cause to be proclaimed and will speak, notice what it says, emmet, which is truth. Who's going to speak about God's truthfulness to his word? How he's going to move among his people, the house of Israel. He says, verse 10, you are my witnesses, declares the Lord, my servant. Now, he's speaking about here, the you is probably 
the Jewish people. That they are called to be what? He says, you all, it's in the plural now, are called to be my witnesses, declares the Lord. He speaks about this in a very important way. And you are my witnesses, declares the Lord, my servant. And here my servant is speaking about Israel, whom I have chosen on account that they will know and they will believe me. So here he wants those of his remnant to speak about his faithfulness, that others will know and notice what it says, that they will know and believe me. And they will understand that I am he. And before me, there is no God that was formed. And after me, there will not be. All of this is speaking about the uniqueness of God. That he is unique, that there's no other gods other than him. No other means in the context is this that there's no other means of redemption. Only he can redeem. Only he keeps his word in this way. Look now to verse 11. Anochi, anochi. Anochi, anochi means I, I. Now, there's two words. There's the word ani, which is a simple. And then there's anochi, which is a more emphatic. And the fact that this is said twice, anochi, anochi, is very important. He says, I, I am the Lord. There is no other besides me. And when he says that, the implication is the last word. There is no Savior besides me. Meaning, if you're going to experience salvation, if his covenant promises are going to be a reality, he is the only one who is able to, and we're speaking about all these things become a reality, it's only because his work of salvation. And here we see that inherent relationship between redemption and salvation. He's been talking about redemption. Redemption brings salvation. How do we understand salvation? I hope you know what I'm going to say. Victory. What God is saying is there's only one who has victory and he's earned it through the resurrection and therefore he can share it with us once more he says clearly there is no savior other than me verse 12 again anochi i i have declared it i have saved or here it's i will save and i will cause to be heard For there is not among them any foreign, meaning any foreign God. Now, understand what we're saying. Redemption happens. It brings through victory. And that that salvation experience through redemption is going to be done by a very faithful God. And it's going to produce a faithful people. That's why he's saying here, after talking about his salvation, he says, notice once more this text, and I, I have declared it, I will save, I will cause to be heard that there is not among them, among who? 
Literally, it says, there's not among you, meaning the Jewish people, there is not among you any foreign, meaning any foreign God. And you, because of this, he says, you are my witnesses, declares the Lord, and I am God. Now, the emphasis here is on I, I am God. All of this is for the purpose of revealing himself. God's going to do it on account of his namesake, because of his fidelity, because he is true to his covenant. Israel's going to be formed, made anew through redemption. They are going to experience victory. They are going to walk in faithfulness in the last days, primarily in the millennial kingdom. As a testimony, they are going to be his witnesses, as it says at the end of verse 12. And you, plural, you all are my witnesses, declares the Lord. And I am God, verse 13. Also from today, from that day, I am he. And there is no one, nothing from my hand meaning that can can cause from my hand ceasing this, this Savior. Now, it's a different word for Savior. We have the word Moshia, which is normally Savior, and the word Matzil. Matzil is used in modern Hebrew as a lifeguard. It comes from the word Latzil, which means to, to deliver, to rescue, to bring about a deliverance from those who were heading to defeat. So God has revealed he's a savior. And then he says, there's not going to be anyone who is going to be able to take from my hand this, this savior, this work of salvation. I will act and who can bring it away, meaning who can can remove it. God's going to do it, and there's no one to take it away. No one can work against him. Verse 14. Now, verse 14 is a, a statement that would be an encouragement for a generation before, many generations before that final generation those ones who will experience redemption. What does he say? He's making a promise, and and this is done so frequently in prophecy. Where God makes a promise, he fulfills a promise in the short term. For example, this is being proclaimed in the 8th century before the birth of Messiah. And the verse that we're going to be looking at right now is going to be a verse that speaks about something that's going to happen approximately 300 years later. And the purpose for it is this, that when the people see God's faithfulness to this prophecy, we can be assured that God's going to be faithful to what we've learned in throughout this chapter of what he's going to do in the last days. In the same way that God brought the people back to the land, 
out of, of Babylon, we can be assured that God's going to bring the people back to the land in the last days in preparation not for his first coming, but for his final coming, for him to come and establish his kingdom. So look carefully at this verse that we're dealing with now, verse 14. Once more, thus said the Lord. It's in the past because it's a, a promise that we can be, can be assured of, that we can depend upon. Again, verse 14, thus said the Lord, your Redeemer. Once more, the Holy One of Israel on account of you. So God's doing it, not because we, we deserve it, but because of that covenantal requirement. He says, on account of you, why? The implication, because of this covenant. And he says, I will send to Babylon. It is a, a reference to the judgment that God placed upon Babylon. Now, many talk about how Babylon was, was ended and the Medes and the Persians arose. One way to understand this is what Cyrus brought about, Korish in Hebrew. So he says, I will send to Babylon and I will bring down, and the word here, Grachim, Kulam, all of them, all of what? Well, this word can be referring to one of two things. Those who flee, that God's going to bring them down, all of them, meaning that the punishment, the judgment on Babylon is going to be severe. They're not going to escape. Secondly, this word can be used for a bar that locks the door. Meaning this, all those that are locked in in exile, God's going to bring all those bars, all those locks down so the people can return. And in his midst of doing that, notice what else he says. He says, and the Kastim, the Chaldeans in English, another term for the Babylonians, in boats, they are going to, and the word here is shout, but in this context, and other places, it can be a shout of lamentation, a, a shout of defeat. So he's speaking about, I'm going to. These ones that took you into exile, these ones that, that brought about suffering and death and a destruction of my temple and the land being no more. What God's going to do? God's going to bring his judgment eventually upon them. Has that happened? Yes, it has. And therefore, in the same way that we can believe that because it's a historical fact, we can believe what God says and promised to us about the last days. Because who's making that promise? Well, let's look at our last verse, verse 15, where he says, Ani Hashem Kedoshchem. I am the Lord, your, your Holy One. The creator of Israel is your king. So this fact, at the end of verse 15, now here again, I did not see any within the Christian commentators putting an emphasis on what he says here. Look again at this verse, verse 15. I am the Lord, your Holy One. 
Holy is related to the purpose. I'm going to fulfill my holy purposes. I'm going to bring about my will. He is the one who creates Israel. Here again, it's in the present. He's at work doing that, creating Israel into what Israel's supposed to be. And then he says, who's doing this? Your king. Why does the word king uh, appear there? Well, king. If you ask any rabbi, give me a synonym. Tenli nila nirdefet. Give me a synonym of Orhamila Mashiach. Give me a synonym, another word for Messiah. What word are they going to give? King. This is a reference to King Messiah. And we see the unity between the Holy One of Israel, God the Father, and His only Son, King Messiah. The fact that it says, you're king, all speaks about how God's going to work this creation to make Israel into a kingdom people. That word, your king, has to do with a kingdom hope. And that's why when we take it in its original context, the words as they were always supposed to mean and see the terminology having last day's implication it is a word of encouragement. Yes, our God, the God of Israel, the father of the only begotten son of God, Messiah Yeshua. He is faithful. He keeps his covenant. We can rely, be dependent upon him because those who trust in him will not be disappointed. Those who trust in him, depend upon him, they will experience his faithfulness when they receive his promises in fullness. Indeed, this passage is a passage that imparts to us that great kingdom hope. I'll close with that. Until next week, and we complete the second part of this 43rd chapter. Until then, may God bless you. Shalom from Israel. Well, we hope you will benefit from today's message and share it with others. Please plan to join us each week at this time and on this channel for our broadcast of loveisrael.org. Again, to find out more about us, please visit our website, loveisrael.org. There you will find articles and numerous other lectures by Baruch. These teachings are in video form. You may download them or watch them in streaming video. Until next week, may the Lord bless you in our Messiah Yeshua, that is, Jesus, as you walk with Him. Shalom from Israel. Thank you.